This is the LexisNexis Torts and Personal Injury Law Community Podcast. On this edition, a review of recent news stories is reported by the editors of LexisNexis Mealy Publications. Current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. A majority of Food and Drug Administration advisors voted on July 14th to keep Avandia on the market. However, LexisNexis Mealy's Emerging Drugs and Devices editor Tom Moylan reports they split on whether the anti-diabetes drug made by GlaxoSmithKline should carry additional warnings about its heart risks or that its use be restricted. Twelve out of 33 advisory committee members voted to withdraw GlaxoSmithKline's drug. However, almost all the remaining committee members, 20, voted to keep Avandia on the market, casting votes for one of three options. Ten members voted to keep the drug on the U.S. market with additional warnings or restrictions on its prescribing. Seven committee members voted to keep Avandia on the market with additional warnings for contraindications for certain patients or for use as a second-line treatment of type 2 diabetes. Three members voted to keep the drug on the market along with black box warnings for increased risk of ischemic cardiovascular events. One member abstained from voting. The vote is advisory only. The FDA will make a final determination. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mealy's Emerging Drugs and Devices Editor, Tom Moylan. Three Canadian courts have approved a maximum $26 million Canadian Zyprexa class settlement. Under a nationwide class settlement approved between June 8th and 14th by courts in Ontario, Quebec, and British Columbia, the settlement will provide $17.5 million in awards to an expected 1,450 claimants, $2.25 million to provincial health insurers, and up to $4.5 million in class council costs. To be eligible, claimants must have taken Zyprexa for at least 90 days. According to a matrix, points will be awarded for injury, serious secondary injuries, date of first prescription, and exceptional circumstances. Plaintiffs claimed Zyprexa manufacturer Eli Lilly failed to warn them that the atypical antipsychotic drug could cause hyperglycemia, diabetes, and pancreatitis. Claimants must have taken the drug before June 6, 2007. Lilly denies any wrongdoing or liability. A New York federal judge on July 1st approved a $1.2 billion settlement between property damage claimants and aviation companies on claims stemming from the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center. The judge rejected the argument by non-settling claimants that the settlement would, quote, encroach on the liability ceilings provided by the Air Transportation Safety and System Stabilization Act and leave insufficient capacity to pay their claims. A California state jury on July 6th awarded $671 million to a statewide class of nursing home patients and their families after finding that a nursing home chain violated state staffing requirements. According to Defendant Skilled Healthcare Group Incorporated, a Humboldt County Superior Court jury awarded $613 million for statutory damages and $58 million in restitutional damages. Skilled Healthcare said that $613 million is the maximum allowed by the state. The class action complaint against Skilled Healthcare and 23 subsidiaries alleged they failed to provide 3.2 nursing hours per patient per day and misrepresented the quality of care. The plaintiffs sought certification of a class consisting of more than 32,000 plaintiffs. The company said it was disappointed by the verdict and will pursue post-trial motions and an appeal. In a move that would allow families of workers killed in the Deepwater Horizon oil rig explosion to sue for non-economic damages, 
The U.S. House of Representatives has passed the Spill Act, securing protections for the injured from Limitations on Liability Act. The bill is aimed at providing better compensation for maritime disaster victims. The legislation passed the House by a voice vote and moves to the U.S. Senate for approval. A Florida jury awarded a woman suffering from smoking-caused emphysema more than $24 million July 8th in the latest Engel progeny win for the plaintiffs after finding she was addicted to cigarettes and that her addiction led directly to her disease. Ellen Tate began smoking cigarettes manufactured by Philip Morris USA Incorporated when she was 13 and continued smoking its Parliament, Marlboro, and Merritt brands for 37 years until 1997, a year after she was diagnosed with emphysema. She sued Philip Morris and other tobacco companies as a former member of the class in Engel v. Liggett Group that was broken up by the Florida Supreme Court in 2006. Tate asserted that she was unable to quit smoking before her diagnosis, despite numerous attempts. As a result of her smoking-caused emphysema, she said, she is on oxygen 24 hours a day and has between 16 and 21 percent lung capacity remaining. Philip Morris conceded that Tate was addicted to cigarettes, but pointed out that many other longtime smokers quit every day. In any case, it said, Tate did little or nothing to attempt to quit smoking, even failing to use a physician-prescribed nicotine patch. After her diagnosis, the company noted, she found the motivation to quit. Trial began June 28th and concluded July 7th. The six-member jury deliberated for approximately one day before concluding that Tate's addiction was the legal cause of her emphysema and awarding $8 million in compensatory damages and $16.2 million in punitive damages. The jury assigned 64% of the liability to Philip Morris and 36% to Tate, meaning that the compensatory award will be reduced proportionally to about $5.1 million. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mealy's Tobacco Litigation Report Editor, Jerry Maddox. A split Georgia Supreme Court held July 5th that a teacher is shielded from personal liability in a lawsuit over an eye injury suffered by one of her students during a class science experiment. Patricia Grammons was teaching an 8th grade science class when a student was injured during a science experiment involving the launching of a 2-liter plastic soda bottle with the force of water and air pressure. The student's father sued the teacher, the school principal, and the school superintendent, claiming his son's eye injury was a result of failure to follow an eye protection policy set forth by the Forsyth County Board of Education. The trial court ruled in favor of the defendants, finding them protected from personal liability by official immunity. A Georgia appeals court reversed with regard to the teacher, but affirmed as to the principal and superintendent. The teacher appealed. Reversing the appellate court with regard to the teacher, the Georgia High Court majority said her failure to require the students to wear safety glasses was a discretionary, not ministerial act. A ministerial duty requiring the use of eye protection equipment during the course of instruction, the court said, was contingent upon the use of caustic or explosive materials. Because the written policy did not define the term explosive materials, the policy required the instructor to engage in a discretionary act. In a product liability action, the First Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals on June 30th affirmed that a woman assumed a risk of injury when she dove into a shallow swimming pool. Jennifer Sheehan sued the North American Marketing Corporation and Del Air Group in Rhode Island Federal Court after she was injured in 2002 attempting to dive into a shallow above-ground swimming pool. Sheehan broke her neck and was rendered a quadriplegic. She brought negligence, strict liability, and other claims and alleged the design of the pool was defective. Noting it is not to say, of course, that Sheehan does not deserve enormous sympathy for her current tragic circumstances, the circuit court explained that nonetheless, under Rhode Island law, there are certain risks that are so self-evident 
that a person will be deemed to have understood them as a matter of law. Diving headfirst into a shallow above-ground pool is such a risk and bars recovery here, the court said. A federal judge in Nevada July 6th denied summary judgment to a restaurant chain named as the defendant in a personal injury action and maintaining that a jury must decide whether the plaintiff should have expected mussel shell fragments to be present in her seafood dish. A woman sued Caraba's Italian Grill after she ordered a pasta dish that includes mussels served in their shells. The woman claimed that during the meal she choked on a mussel shell fragment, was hospitalized, and endured two surgeries to remove the shell. Caraba's moved for summary judgment, arguing it took all possible care and followed all reasonably necessary steps when preparing the dish. But a judge denied the motion, ruling that whether Carabas was negligent by failing to remove the shell fragment is a question that must be decided at trial. A unanimous Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals panel in late June affirmed the dismissal of electromagnetic field radiation exposure claims against California agencies and employees for failing to state a claim. Two seasonal employees of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection filed suit for exposure to electromagnetic radiation emitted by antennae near where they worked, which they allege caused permanent injury and disability. The California Department of General Services Telecommunications Division installed and operated radio and microwave antenna at the site. A New York appeals panel in late June overturned a $3.5 million verdict awarded to a man who was struck by a subway train, ruling the plaintiff's expert failed to provide the jury with solid calculations concerning train operator reaction times. Dustin Dibble sued the New York City Transit Authority for injuries he suffered when he was hit by a subway train. It was undisputed that Dibble was intoxicated at the time of his injury. The train operator died before trial, but said at deposition he saw what he thought was debris on the tracks on the night of the accident. Once he saw the debris move, he applied the train's emergency brake. A jury attributed 65% fault to New York City Transit Authority and 35% to Dibble and awarded Dibble $3.5 million. The New York City Transit Authority appealed, arguing the jury relied on a mathematical formula that used a purported average reaction time as a factor in calculating whether the train operator could have stopped the train before hitting Dibble. The First Department Supreme Court Appellate Division reversed the trial court, ruling that Dibble's expert failed to provide any foundation or support for his contention that the average reaction time of a train operator is one second. Visit the LexisNexis store for all your legal book and software needs. The store offers thousands of titles to help you in the practice of law and in managing the business of your legal practice. You can reach our e-commerce site by clicking on the Store tab at the top of the LexisNexis homepage or by going to LexisNexis.com store. This edition of the LexisNexis Torts and Personal Injury Law Community Podcast was written by the editors of LexisNexis Mealies, current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. The LexisNexis Torts and Personal Injury Community Podcast, copyright 2010 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. Visit all the LexisNexis communities at www.lexisnexis.com community. LexisNexis, total practice solutions. I'm Steve Bursler. Thanks for listening.